Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to episode number 10 of Tell Me Your Tales. This is the second part of the Brad Croker interview. Uh, I gave you a stack of information on Brad last week, so if you listen to that one, you'll know what he's all about. He just finished third at the Canberra Marathon this Sunday that's just finished, and um, yeah, pretty good effort. He talks about how that race unfolded. Then we get into it all about his life stuff. Last time we kind of talked heavy running content, but this time... We touched on uh, a few of his routines, a couple of his jobs, a bit of a life mantra stuff, and yeah, some of the stuff he gets up to on the side, especially some stuff with the horse races and fashions on the field, which is quite interesting. Uh, Enjoy this chat. Not much has been going on with me this week. I'm still on school holidays. Week two, I'm going to try and get another episode out tomorrow with uh, Echuca Football Club coach Andrew Briggs he's coached there for the last three years about to kick off his fourth season this Saturday so that will be timely so you can expect that probably tomorrow Arvo Thursday um Thursday in the p.m. which will give you a day and a bit to listen to what the coach thinks is going to happen this year before that kicks off I've been chilling out doing a bit of running same old stuff um anyway enjoy this part two episode with Brad Croker Yeah, mate. You hear me? Yeah, certainly. How you going? Good. How'd your uh, clinic go this morning? Yeah, it was good. We had um, about 150 kids there, which was good. So um, wow. 10 rotations, eight minutes a hit, and an hour yeah. and a half went pretty quick. That's good. Had the local um, fruit and veg shop forever fresh come down and give us some free fruit, and yeah, plenty of parents, and yeah, nearly raised about a thousand bucks, which was good. So that's cool. That's that's one thing I really love about the small towns. Like you get in and really make a difference, and you know. I, I, I could easily move to a smaller town. I guess having grown up in Ulladulla, which is like 10,000 people, I sort of probably prefer that than the cities. Yeah, and it's so good that everyone kind of comes together. Um, yeah. You know, like the local radio station rang me yesterday and they did a bit of a feature and then the, it was in the paper today and like people just want to be on board those kind of things, which is good. So, And you just know those people in the community as well, so I could kind of ring the footy coach and see what he was doing for an hour and a half and then yep. a couple of triathletes and then all of a sudden you had people ringing you wanting to to do activities so just a matter of putting everyone in the same spot and just offering our skills it's um and it's pretty like easy stuff like I was just doing a running thing for seven minutes ten times it's um it wasn't yeah. hard to plan or didn't need much equipment and yeah but good hopefully 
you know, a few kids get a bit out of it, eating good foods and um, exercising well. So big morning though. I just said to Carly, I don't know how many people you meant to spend time with in a day. We had footy training this morning. So I um, had a few blokes in my driveway at quarter past six to go for a bit of a run and yeah. then uh, yeah, 150 kids and about 100 parents this morning. And then, uh, yeah, I'm almost spent. It's only midday. I guess that's the downside of uh, being involved with sort of everything in a small town is uh, often you then spread yourself pretty thin. Yeah, you can. And I've um, oh, I've probably chucked myself in the deep end a few times in the past as well. You kind of say yes to everything and then you start looking at your calendar and you're like, yeah, this is going to be a big week, you kind of just these hour things here and there. But yeah. Um, yeah, at times you've got to be careful to make it work for yourself. Mate, I can see you being uh, the mayor down the, down the track. <laughs> the mayor of Moama. Someone said that the other day and I'm thinking, nah, <laughs> I don't think so. I'm just happy doing a bit of running. But that's a good thing about running, like... Especially these footballers, they're kind of midfield guys are trying to get them to do one or two um, different runs a week. And I just juggle it in with my own running. Like it's, I'm running at 6.15 from my driveway, be there kind of thing. So you don't have yeah. to, it's not a whole separate event. Yep. But anyway, mate, let's get on to you. No worries. How'd the body pull up? Yeah, actually pretty good. Um, I haven't run since, but um, like I could run if I had to, but I'll, Probably go for a light jog tomorrow, um, but I won't do anything hard for probably three weeks or so. Yeah. So for people who don't know, third place, 22409, is that correct? Yeah, that's yeah, that's right. Tell us about it. Let's go back to the – well, tell us about the taper. How did you tackle that? Um, so I guess my last hard effort was three weeks out. did like a 36K long run with a, a 32, 45, 10K at the back end of it. Um, and then sort of just went from sort of 180k down to 135 and then 120 and then race week I would have done uh, probably about 50k from the Monday through to race morning um, not a lot of quality in there I think I may you know did a, like a 10k tempo at one point I did a park run two weeks out and ran like a 1448 so obviously way quicker than marathon pace, um, which was quite surprising, uh, I guess, running that fast off sort of marathon training and, and not really those sort of lactic-type sessions of 400-metre yeah. reps and that sort of stuff. Um, and then I guess the last week, it's, I don't know, you're just sitting around waiting for it, um, doing sort of sessions and you sort of maybe analysing them a little bit too much. Like, you know, you run 10 minutes at marathon pace and you're like, uh, you know, did it feel as easy as I thought it should feel? And you almost start psyching yourself out a little bit. Um, yeah, so didn't sleep that well on the Thursday night, um, but then was able to get a bit of sleep on the Friday. And, um, yeah, I was up at 4 a.m. race morning. Yeah, what time did the race um, kick off? Yeah, so it was 6.25. Yeah. So up at Pretty four. early start. Yeah, it is. Um, but having said that, I was glad that it started then because the weather turned pretty foul. Um, about oh, probably 10 minutes after I crossed the finish line. Yeah. So if it started any later, it would have, uh, wouldn't have been great. Would have got hit with that. Um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. You overanalyze everything and you think you should be having this massive spring in your step because you've tapered and you've got yeah. to this race week and it kind of just doesn't happen. And then you start yeah. second guessing yourself and then you yeah. can't smash yourself to give yourself a confidence booster or it's a exactly. funny little thing. And then you're like, do, you know, do I need three? Like three weeks is quite a long taper, especially when, you know, you're used to running track races, which it's like a three-day taper. <laughs> um, 
And yeah, so but like I, I can't complain with like often people say they feel really sluggish during the taper, and I wouldn't say that I felt that. Like I always felt pretty good on my runs. Um, yeah, so I, I was pretty happy with how the taper went. Really, how do you go with eating that race week? Like I always find that I just feel hungry the whole time and you eat just as much as you would when you're running a hundred mile weeks does that play in your mind a bit uh a little bit i was i sort of weighed myself a couple of times in from i guess from the start of the taper through to the start of the carb load and i did stay pretty consistent um one thing i've been doing since the start of the year is probably focusing a little bit more on protein in my diet and I found having some sort of protein shakes, especially at night with the slow release protein, rather than having dessert, it fills me up, um, but it also doesn't have a lot of calories in it. So I was able to keep weight pretty pretty um, consistent, even though my volume dropped. And then obviously um, Friday, Saturday really hit, hit the carb load pretty hard. Yeah, right. And then just pasta or rice or what kind of carbs? Yeah, a bit of everything. Um, so I guess, you know, wheat bix is my standard breakfast. So a bit of that in the mornings, um, a snack, mid-morning snack of uh, white bread with jam um, and some Gatorade. Um, also a bit of juice in the morning. Um, what else do I have? And then, yeah, lunches was generally pasta just with like a tomato-y sauce. Um, and what else do I have? Oh, afternoon would have been like hot cross buns. Um, some lollies in there. Jeez, it's all sounding um, pretty good. Yeah, so it's, I guess, I was, so a mate of mine who's a dietitian, um, he was at the AIS and he's over at like the Institute of Sport now in Qatar. So he sent me through a bit of a carb loading plan which worked on about 10 grams of carbs per kilo of body weight. Yeah. So I guess for me it was close to 600 grams of carbs. Yeah, um, right. Pretty much, you know, dividing, dividing that by about five meals. So yeah. getting what, just, o- just over 100 grams per meal um and obviously doing it in like with cut doing it with rice and pastas and things like that obviously they're quite bloating so i try and supplement that with things like jams lollies gatorade that's quite easy to digest but still has a massively high carb content yeah did you have any weight gain in that last week with that kind of diet um well i only did that for the last two days and uh I didn't weigh myself race morning, but the, the day before I hadn't really put on any weight. Oh, that's good. Which is surprising because I expected to put on a kilo or, you know, a kilo and a half, but I yeah, didn't. And that can stuff with your head as well, like if you're weighing yourself race morning and it's a, it's a measurement you don't want to see. Yeah, yeah. Can, um, but no, the carb load went good. And I never felt like I was really um, stuffing my face. You know, like I went to bed not feeling that full all the time, so... Yeah, it was, it was good. Oh, that's good, mate. And then um, warm-up, talk us through that. Yeah, so woke up to a pretty ordinary morning. As we were driving to the race, it started to rain, um, and then it got actually quite heavy in the half hour before the start. So there's a lot of us sitting in the – they had a, an elite tent set up. So sitting in the elite tent, weighing up whether to go for a warm-up or whether just to – yeah, because obviously go out, you get wet, your shoes are wet. Um, and luckily it stopped about 15 minutes before the start. So I went out for eight minutes, which is probably a little bit short. Um, I only did a couple of strides and I was probably in a bit of a negative mindset early on just because, you know, my first marathon was in the snow. The second one was windy in Melbourne and here it was raining. Um, and I'm just like, oh, here we go again. Um, 
but the rain stopped for the start and it didn't rain until maybe the last three kilometres and even then it was just light rain and there was no wind. So as it turned out, conditions were, were amazing, but I didn't probably have my standard warm-up. Um, that was a little bit rushed, but I thought to myself, well, it's a marathon, I can warm up as I go. Yeah, and that's not a bad that's thing to do either, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. I just find those, I've, as I'm getting a bit older, um, it does take a little bit longer for the body to actually loosen up than it yep. used to. Uh, yeah. Um, and then early stages, like those other two guys that you mentioned last week, Matty Cox and the and the Ethiopian bloke, they go straight at the front. Yeah, yeah. They um, went cleared out from the gun. Uh, looking at the splits, those boys had their lead at ten k was bigger than it was at the end of the race. They had put that much time into me in the first ten k. Um, so I, I, I pretty much ran the whole race by myself. Um, which, uh, yeah. So they they took off. Um, and then I was with, um, I guess, the guy that finished third and the guy that finished fourth. Um, we sort of were running together up around New Parliament House, which would be about 2K into the race. Um, but from that point onwards, the guy that finished uh, fourth, he dropped off and, um, yeah, was, like went through 5K in like 17, 15. Not feeling great. That wasn't a great confidence boost like thinking well i'm on target but i don't feel very good um same thing with 10k i think 10k was 34 and a half so i was was pretty consistent and i was on race pace but it just felt it just didn't feel great um and then 10 to 20k was even worse i uh i got to the 12k drink station so there's three there's three stations throughout the race where we could leave our own drinks and that was at 12k 22k and 32k and um, I'd attached a bit of a handle to my drink bottle and the handle snapped off as I went to pick up the drink. So the oh. drink ended up on the ground and I turned around and um, went back and picked it up. And, uh, yeah, like I looked, because what I was doing is taking 5K splits just on my, on my Garmin. Yeah. And, uh, just the off first, their K markers or your K markers? Um, off their K markers. Yeah, that's smart. Um, and... I guess from 10 to 15 wasn't a very good split at all and started to get really negative and I think 20, yes, yeah, so I think I've, I ran slower than 35 minutes for the second 10K, which is obviously a lot slower than the pace that I needed to run at and I was actually, I guess, down on, on 225 marathon pace. Um, so at 20K, I started to get pretty negative, um, thinking to myself, well, there's no, there's, there's 225 gone um, because... For the way that I felt, I'm like, there's no way I can negative split this. Like, I, my quads were already starting to get sore. Um, so, you know, I went through halfway in 73.30. And I thought, thought, well, even if I hold this, that's, you know, it's, what's 227. 227, yeah. Um, and I'm like, uh, all right, well, um, 227, it's not a, not a great result. And then started thinking, well, maybe, maybe I'm not a marathoner. Maybe this is not my event. Um, and then I started thinking, well, I probably need to change my focus for Berlin now. Like, you know, there's no point if I can't run, if I can't feel comfortable going through 73 and a half through half in Canberra, like how, how am I going to run sub, like hope to run around 220 in Berlin. So wasn't in a great, great place around 20 odd K. Yeah. Um, this is amazing. Like to, I just checked the result and even I had a couple of people message me saying, oh, you know, your bloke did, um, perfect. Exactly what he wanted to off the podcast the other week. But um, yeah, it sounds like you're in a world of a world of hurt and a world of unknown at halfway. Yeah, and I guess being pretty inexperienced in the marathon, like you always hear that 
you know, if you're feeling bad at halfway, it's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse, and you almost want to feel good right up until 30K. And it certainly wasn't the case for me. But I think one thing that I did from that point onwards was actually forget times. Um, from halfway, I didn't even like, – I, st- I was still taking the 5K splits on my watch, but I just wasn't looking at the watch. I didn't care. So I almost changed the focus rather than chasing a time of sub 225. I thought to myself, well, I'm in third place. Um, you know, I had about probably a minute up my sleeve from the next guy at the 20K mark. And I thought to myself, well, if I can hold this gap all the way through to the, the back end of the race, then he, you know, he has to make up, say, 12, 12 seconds a K in the last 5K, which would be pretty hard to do. So I started thinking along those lines of like setting myself little goals along the way. It's like just keep going for another 10K and like just hold, just hold your gap on the, on the next guy and... There was a few times where you go in and out and you can see each other. Um, and I guess I was just trying to work out what the time gap was there. Um, I guess also focusing on, okay, when when can I take my next gel? When do I grab my next drink? You know, I, ha- I had some flat coat put out at 32K. So I thought to myself, well, if I can just get to 32K, then I remember back in my triathlon days how flat coat used to just you know, give me a massive pickup. So I'm like, well, maybe it can do that and I can hang on for another 10K. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I just sort of tried to trick my mind a little bit and forget forget the pace that I was running at. But you know, when I look back on it, I actually started to pick up the pace, even though I didn't feel like I was. Yeah, and because the marathon's so far, having those little checkpoints is you know get to the next gel or get to the next five k mark or whatever it is, mm. rather than thinking you've got twenty five k to go here and you're already hurting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I also, I used to always say to myself, I'm not going to do Canberra Marathon because I know Canberra so well. And, I, you know, if you're having, if you're hurting a little bit and you're at the 20K mark and you're on the other side of town, knowing how far you actually have to get across to the finish line is not a, not a great thing. Whereas if you're, in a, if you're in a city you don't know, you just keep running until you hit the finish line. So I always said to myself, I don't want to do Canberra, but as it turned out, it was probably a good thing in the back end because I knew where the hills were and I just kept telling myself, I know there's a hill at 30K, just get over this hill at 30K and then there's actually a nice couple of K downhill where I can regroup and um, it was probably a blessing in disguise, in disguise that it was you know, um, run on a course that I knew quite well. Yeah, awesome. So then you would have been getting that positive feedback from the 5K splits because just looking at your 5K as after like 20K, they're yeah. pretty solid. Like the slowest one in there was from twenty to twenty-five. Like you didn't run over two twenty. Oh, sorry, three twenty-three for a K split. Yeah, yeah, and and but that's the thing. I, I didn't actually realise I was running that fast, and I, and I, it wasn't until two K to go that I actually thought I can break two twenty-five here. Like it, even up until that point, I still thought, oh, I'm probably going to run two twenty-seven-ish. Like I, I hadn't really, as I said, I had just really switched off worrying about times. Um, and I guess you get to 30k, and the more tired I get, the less I'm, you know, I'm not real great with the maths once I start to get tired. And um, and then also with the marathon, I guess I'm still a bit scared by the marathon in yeah. terms yeah. of even when you're feeling good with 5k to go, you don't know how empty your tank is. Yeah. So if I'm feeling all right and I start to pick it up five seconds a k, it's like, well, is this going to come back to bite me in the last kilometre of the race where I pretty much can't run anymore? Um, but as it turned out, I yeah, getting that flat coke at 32k, um, and I was in like a 250 mil, one of those little um, juice sort of popper things. Yeah, pop tops. Yeah, so 
and that's one thing I did throughout the whole, I always had a drink bottle pretty much in my hand the whole race or I was sucking on a gel. Um, so I held on to that drink bottle all the way from 32K to 40K. Um, took, took my last sip at 40K and then went, all right, I'll, um, I'll pin these back now and see if I can get under 225. Yeah, I know, same thing. My brain at Berlin couldn't work out maths in that, you know, from 35K onwards, you can't do any maths when you're trying to just to stay upright. Yeah. But I, I was the I same think... thing at 39, no, I think it was at 40K I saw a clock and I was just like, I've just got to beat the Bendigo record, which was like 224.30. Yep. And then you kind of get with 300 metres to go and it says 220 and you're like, oh, this is going to be um, way quicker than I thought it was. Yeah, I think with the marathon, the last, I think it's the fact that it's 42.2, I reckon that point two really throws you off a little bit because you, you get to an even, say, 38K and you're like, all right, well, it's 4K. What would I run 4K now? It's like, oh, no, but then I've got another 200 out on top of that. So you can't just work on, on even K, K splits. Yeah. So, just throw but, all that out the window. I like the idea of running with a pop top though, because I remember throwing, you know, you throw, have a go at that last gel and then you chuck it off to the side of the road and it almost feels like you're, it's just you now. There's nothing that's going to save you. Yeah. Plus, I think, you know, you see a lot of the top runners and obviously they have a lot more drinks set out throughout the course, but they have a sip of it and then throw the drink bottle away and there's still something, you know, there's still obviously liquid in there. Um, and I don't find running with a 250ml pop top it doesn't inhibit my running at all um but it's almost like a bit of a security blanket that you know if you're having a rough kilometer it's like well i'll have a sip and you almost you almost trick your mind that well i'll have this sip and it's got carbs in it it's going to help me you know? yeah and even if it doesn't um you, you think it does so those so, 10k splits like the first 10k was 326 second one 331 third one 321 and then from 30 through the finish 320 so yeah. you've pretty much ran the back half on a hilly course at pretty close to um sub 220 pace yeah so i think it, i think it was pretty much about 73 30 through half and then i think the second half was 70 40 odd yeah um and as you said it's it's generally um most people would say that the back end of canberra is tougher than the first half just because there's a there's quite a few hills around the lake um, and then my last 2K was 3.10 pace. My, my last kilometre was my fastest of the race. Yeah, I saw that. Um, um, which is quite quite bizarre. But, like, I'm, I'm glad the race panned out that way because, it, it learnt, like, I learned a lot from it. Um, like, I, going into this marathon, I was always of the belief that unless you, run, unless you run really, really slow for the first half, it's almost impossible to negative split, whereas... Obviously, you know, I went through 73 and a half feeling pretty ordinary and was able to actually kick on. I, I don't know how or, or why, but I know that if I get in that situation again where things aren't going great for the first half, I'm not going to panic, whereas normally I would. Yeah. Um, and also think not being a slave to the watch over that first half was really important because I guess from 10K onwards, I went, I'm not feeling great. Um, yeah, so... I think, as I said last podcast, I wanted to try and get through halfway in 72 minutes, which would give me you know, a little bit of time up my sleeve for sub 225. And I guess I've always thought that that's the way you run a marathon. Like you never, you never really negative split one unless you've gone through really, really easy through the first half. Um, but you know, I sort of proved that wrong on on Sunday, which was encouraging, and it means that I won't panic 
um, you know, in future marathons if I'm not hitting the splits I want through halfway. Um, having said that, I, th- I think if I had pushed for 72 minutes through halfway on Sunday, I would have been pushing a lot harder than I was probably, I don't know, that my body was capable of at that time and probably would have would have blown out quite bad, I think, at the end. So, yeah, right. But even the elevation, like just looking on Strava, it's got you at 345 metres. To yeah. put that in comparison to Berlin, that got me at 101 metres. Like, yeah, so, massive um, yeah. difference. Yeah, it's, it's encouraging. And, like, I'd like to think that um, obviously Berlin is worth a bit Bit of bit of a faster time than what um, than what Canberra is, but if you if you told me at the start of the year that I was going to have a sub two twenty five marathon next to my name, whether it be Canberra or Berlin, I'd I'd be pretty happy. So I guess I'm going to Berlin now with sort of not a not a lot to lose and a bit of a free hit at trying to you know because really what what's the next time barrier after two twenty five? It's sort of two twenty, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, whether you run two twenty two or 223 it doesn't sort of really matter too much so um but yeah i think at, was, oh sorry but even at berlin you still got like there's so many factors that you know you put a people with you which you didn't have at canberra you put mm. a flat course with it you put another winter's training with it like there's so many positives that you can take over there oh definitely like i um yeah as i said i, I ran the whole race by myself on um on sunday which maybe maybe a good thing at times as well i guess i guess that's a risk of going to berlin is you just get caught up in the hype and there's yeah lots of people around but you end up probably running with people that are running too fast for you at the time whereas when i was running by myself i i guess initially was going sort of off the watch um, but then after that went more off feel through the second half but i think as yeah there's something in that running your own race and even knowing that you're strong in the second half like yeah not many i know i can't say that you know, that's a trait that I've ran as marathon finishing strong because I haven't, but for you to nail that in your second one, good skill to have. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess there's just so many factors in a marathon. I'm trying to actually work out, like, trying to work out, like, why I was able to start running faster. Um, I'm not sure whether it was the nutrition, whether it just took time for my body to, to warm up, um, or I guess maybe just having having faith in that, you know, I've done the training sort of thing, you know, it sort of just comes back to help you, you know, even though you feel tired, I guess when you've done the training and you feel strong at the back end, or you, you just feel strong at the back end and you sort of, you know, I, put it this way, I felt exactly the same as I did at 30K as I did at 10K, really, um, but I was just running faster at 30K than 10. Yeah, that's um, that's super positive. If you can, yeah, figure out, but even in that, like you probably don't want to, figure it out then smash yourself off the gun because then that could impact that second half yeah yeah and i think yeah i think being obviously i didn't feel comfortable through halfway but physiologically it's still you know 73 and a half you know is not out of is not really out of my comfort zone whereas i think a lot of people that run marathons they i guess one probably target a time that maybe they're it's, it's, it's a stretch for them and then they try and get a bit of time up their sleeve in the first half as well so it's sort of a um you know it makes it really hard for them then to to finish strong if you're if you're trying to get time up your sleeve you know chasing a time that you may, maybe not quite capable of yeah yeah exactly and you get a bit caught away in those early stages as you said you're feeling good the crowd's there there's people around you yeah. And, um, you can. I just yeah, just whipped up my splits from Berlin, and it's almost stupid. Some of the, like I think we ran a through few three oh nines at you know, 
15K, um, yeah. yeah, 310 at 11, 308 at 17. Like, yeah, yeah a bit a bit silly. 310 well, found- at 25. I guess I guess the good thing though about having time up your sleeve is that you can you can afford to fade and you probably don't panic. You probably don't panic as much if you're a minute or a minute and a half up on your goal pace. Um, whereas if you you know if you're a minute behind as I was and if you if you're consciously focusing on the time you know then then you do start to panic that well how am I going to how am I going to find this minute and a half in the second half? Whereas yeah. um, I and guess because I still didn't... fade and run a reasonably good time. It's, um, yeah, with that much yeah, time exactly. up your sleeve. Um, but yeah, a bit pain, bit more painful though. We weren't feeling as good at thirty k as it sounds like you were. Yeah, but, that, but that's a marathon, you know. Like my first one, I went through twenty k two minutes faster and felt better, and ended up running three minutes slower than I did on Saturday. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Sunday. It's just yeah. I guess some days you're on, some days you're off, and um, and even the days that you end up running a good time, you're still going to have pretty ordinary patches throughout the race. Yeah. No, if you go the whole way without an ordinary patch, I don't know what's going on there. Not many people <laughs> yeah. seem to say that. Um, yep. So let's get on to Berlin now, mate. So what's your plan? Couple of weeks recovery, and then will you build towards a, a half or a ten k, and then start a marathon block? Or yeah, I haven't given it too much thought at this stage. Um, I'll start back jogging tomorrow, um, but I won't do anything hard for probably three weeks, uh, and then I yeah I do it and do do a few races in the lead up. It's just hard to find. I haven't quite worked out which ones to do because Gold Coast, I think, is just a li- maybe a little bit early. Um, you know, it's, I think, 12 weeks out. So I don't want to be in tip-top shape 12 weeks out. Um, and so I don't see the point in probably going if I'm not, you know, going to run that well. Uh, so just trying to have a look at what races are around in, I guess, what, August, late late August, early September. Um, so city, I guess, you know, potentially city to surf, national cross, um, there's a half marathon that uh, around Homebush on I think the third of September. Yeah. So yeah, but I'll sit down over the next couple of weeks and work it out and um, see what things I'll change from last prep to this prep. Yeah, probably that's not. My next question. Yeah, probably won't change a lot. It'll, I guess, I'll still keep with that staggered, you know, high low, um, that four week sort of staggered training. Uh, but I might try and. Have make my make my big week maybe a little bit, you know, a little bit longer, um, and and maybe throw in a couple of more those sort of 25, 30k sessions with you know broken down into um, either four or five k reps. Yeah, so yeah, that, that's probably the main. That, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I guess at halfway on Sunday. I was thinking to myself, I definitely need to do more like longer, longer sessions. But then the way that I close, I'm like, well, maybe I don't because, you know, obviously the strength, you know, I'm, I'm reasonably strong at the back end of the race. So um, I, I don't think I'll change a lot between now and Berlin, that's for sure. Just, as you said, hopefully another six months of um, just consistent training will um, allow me to hopefully run. Well, I don't really need to run the back half any faster than what I did. I just need to find a minute or two in the first half in Berlin. Yeah, and with those factors I listed before, you'll find that easy. It'll just be a mm. matter of if that damages your back half. Yeah, exactly, yep. But, so. um, but that's all good. And you guys have a pretty cold winter there, so it'll make um, good training conditions? Yeah, it will. Um, I'd probably change, I guess for this prep for Canberra, I was doing a lot of my stuff in the morning just because it was so hot here. But uh, I'm not much of a morning person, so I will definitely do some stuff more sort of afternoons. 
uh, just because it's so cold here first thing in the morning. Plus, I figure with Berlin being potentially warm, um, it's probably a good idea to maybe do a couple of you know middle of the day sessions, um, just so when I go over there, you know, 15 to 20 degrees is not such a such a shock. Yeah, um, because in because Ca- Canberra in winter, you know, like some days we have tops of eight and nine. Um, so yeah, it'll obviously, and I'm not very good in the heat, so I'll um, definitely try and make sure that the that the heat stress won't be a factor in Berlin. Yeah, did you chat to those guys after the race on um, Saturday or Sunday? How they find it? Um, yeah, so Matt was obviously trying to chase the time because when I, I spoke to him before the race, and I said, "Mate, I'm surprised you." you weren't sort of chasing a fast course um, because he's obviously quality athlete and capable of probably running sub 219. And, uh, you know, Canberra's not really the course to, to probably do it. Um, but he's just said he, you know, couldn't afford to go overseas. So, um, yeah, I always respect the way that Matt runs. He, he certainly doesn't die wondering. Like to go through, what do you go through, first 10K in like 31 was it thirty-one fifty or something? Did they? I don't yeah, know. right. It was, yeah, it was sub. It was sub thirty. No, was it? Yeah, it was sub thirty-two minutes. Um, so he certainly put it out there, and I guess you know his goal was to try and run the qualifier. Yeah, I didn't um, realize he'd be doing that either. I thought he might just be rocking up for a payday and a low two twenty and take the win. Yeah, no, he definitely was chasing a time. But then when I was chatting to him, it was ra- this was before the race when it was raining. He's like. Uh, with these conditions now, I, I'm not sure what will happen, but he said, I'll, you know, I'll still go out hard for the first 10K and see what happens. And he actually held it together, I think, reasonably well. Like, he yeah. didn't, didn't blow up massively. Hats off to him. Mm. Good going. Um, rightio, mate. So Berlin's the end of the year. We've kind of spoken about that. Let's get into a bit of the, a bit of the Brad Croker life stuff. Talk to me yeah. about these job transitions. Cause, so you're a trained PE teacher. Yeah, so that was and my never first. Taught? Not really. So I graduated from Sydney Uni in 2002. Um, and then I took a job straight out of uni working at the uni as like a building attendant um, slash audio visual person. So it was pretty much just making sure that the lecturers, lectures rooms were all set up and, you know, during exam time, picking up all the exam papers and um, dropping them off to where they needed, you know, to where they needed to go. Yeah, um, and so a mate, so a guy that I was training with at the time, he was working at the uni full time, so he sort of got me the job there. Um, I did that for a, uh, probably a year and a half, um, and then just got into casual teaching. So I was teaching at probably three or four different schools in Sydney, um, which I didn't, I didn't mind. I found it it fitted in quite well with my training um, because you know, as a casual, you rock up just before just before uh, school starts and you you walk out the door when the bell goes and there's no uh, no work to take home, so it was um, yeah it fitted in really well with my lifestyle at the time. Then in 2006, um, I decided to move back to Canberra and um, take up a position in the uh, in the boarding house at my old school. So I was a boarding house tutor there, which just meant I got free accommodation and and food, um, and then I was just doing some casual teaching around uh, or at that school and also a few others in Canberra. Uh, but because I had a bit of free time, I decided to go back to uni and do a um, an accounting degree, which is, you know, I guess a bit bit of a weird mix. Um, yeah, so that was sort of 2007 that I started that. Then I saw a job advertised at the Australian Institute of Sport for a live-in athlete supervisor, and 
um, I thought, oh, with my, my running background and my, my education degree and having lived in, having worked in a boarding school, I thought, oh, I'd tick all the boxes there. I'll, um, I'll apply for it. And, yeah, was lucky enough to get that position, which uh, was, was, was an amazing job. I was yeah, there, on, Talk, what lived, did you have to do? So it was – so there was basically – four athlete supervisors that lived on site and there was two sets of house parents so typically the athlete supervisors were similar to me you know mid mid to late 20s um generally single and you'd basically do two morning shifts two afternoon shifts two night shifts and then you'd have two days off and you just rotated through that um that roster and the shifts were about six hours and in that time you were just on site to take athletes to medical appointments, um, x-rays, MRIs, that sort of thing, lots of airport runs. Um, and obviously because a lot of the athletes were under 18, you sort of just a bit of a, a mentor or a sort of a parent figure for them. Um, but it certainly wasn't a tough job, but working working with elite athletes, which they obviously were like, you know, it was pretty much the Australian basketball team, men's and women's were in there. The under 17, like Joey's or Socceroos, were there. Um, a lot of top class swimmers. So, like, I, it was, yeah, like, it was a dream job for me at the time. Um, and it's probably now looking back on it that I appreciated it even more because the athletes weren't superstars then. They were just up and comers. Um, but, like, Matthew Delvadova, who's, you know, like a superstar in the NBA, he was one of the athletes that, you know, I'd regularly have to sit, you know, have a chat to him as we're driving 30 minutes for him to have an MRI and stuff like that. So it was, uh, yeah, it's really good now looking back on all the athletes that I've sort of interacted with while I was there. Yeah. Any other big names? Um, so there was Matthew Delvadova. There's a couple of couple of guys that are playing now for the Socceroos, like Trent Sainsbury and, um, well, Terry Antonis. I don't think he's played Socceroos yet, but he's a bit of a gun. He's playing... Um, he played for Sydney FC. Um, Alicia Coots was swimming there at the time, so she won, I think, five Olympic medals in London. Um, who were some others? Uh, but then you'd all, like, so obviously you looked after the residential athletes, but also visiting athletes. So you'd have all the tennis players come in. So you ended up becoming pretty good friends with, like, Casey Delacqua. Yeah. Um, uh, who else? Uh, trying to think. Um, yeah, so... Oh, and then I guess there was the net, netball program was there as well. Um, yeah, so, yeah, it's, it's just really good now looking back and, you know, you look at the A-League and you see, you know, all these familiar familiar names. Um, yeah, so it was, um, yeah, so I did that for three and a half years. Yeah. And even your own, like, the stuff that you could take from that to apply to running, like if you're looking at how these elite athletes are living and you're kind of an elite athlete in your own right and just putting it together. Yeah, it was just... It was, what, what I really liked about it was just being around like-minded people yeah. where sport was their life and they didn't sort of – they didn't look at you funny because you go and run for two and a half hours on a Sunday, whereas there's uh, a lot of workplaces that you go to where they're like, why do you do that? Like, it's just it's just stupid, whereas no, nobody ever thinks that when you're working at the AIS. Um, I also really liked seeing how different athletes approach their sport some with, um, I guess, a high level of um, professionalism, sorry, um, whereas others just didn't. 
and it was really good to see like guys like Matthew Delvadova, like he worked his ass off. Like he like when it comes to one percenters, he did them all. Um, and so it was really good to see people like that succeed. Whereas, and this is, I guess, it, it more so in a team sport. Like pretty much all the athletes that were there on individual scholarships for you know individual sports, they generally always work pretty hard. Um, like I'm sure, I'm sure you know, like you know most most semi elite runners that I know probably are more professional than a lot of the fo- footballers that are yeah. on half half a million dollars. And there was so there was certainly that element where there's a lot of team sports at the AIS, and you know, 80% of the athletes wouldn't be wouldn't be getting the best out of themselves. But then there's guys like Delhi who, who was actually giving 100%, and it was really good to see those guys then succeed. Yeah, that's so, so good. And, and even um, like local footballers, like I do a bit of work with the Tuga Footy Club here, and just trying to give them the understanding of how hard people in other sports are working. Yeah. They just, um, like these are, you know, guys on hundreds of dollars a week, week in, week out, but train, you know, for an hour, two nights a week. Yeah. And, um, yeah. yeah, it's it's amazing what they can then do when they rock up for an extra run here and there or go to the gym or even yeah. diet, nutrition. Like they've got, some mm. of those blokes got no idea and never been taught and, yeah. Yeah. It's one thing that really annoys me is that, um, like I'm a big believer in you get out what you put in, um, but you know, yes, in running you do in terms of your you see improvement in your times, but in terms of financially, like the amount of time and effort that runners put in for what they get compared to say foot, some footballers, um, always find it really, um, really yeah, really disappointing. <laughs> yeah. You got to um, definitely do it for the love of it, with running and triathlon and those kind of things, because the hours yeah. are just massive compared to the payoff. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. So um, then, where to next, mate? After the AIS? Um, yeah. So I guess the downside of the AIS was because you had to live on site. Um, you initially get a one-year contract, and then if you're still happy with the situation, because it's not for everybody, because yeah. you live at you live at work. Um, but as I said, I loved it because it was like I was on my own little scholarship. I was, I was living for free. So I had my accommodation paid for. I had my own little apartment. I had three days, three meals a day at the athlete dining hall. So I could go in there anytime I wanted. I had access to the gym. Uh, the only thing I didn't have access to that the athletes had was the medical side of things. Um, but I was getting paid a salary, whereas the athletes weren't. So it was, yeah, I almost felt like I was on scholarship there. Uh, and the work wasn't taxing, you know. Driving an athlete to a medical appointment was, you know, it was quite enjoyable sitting there having a chat with them, getting getting to know them. Yeah, that would have been um, awesome. And the food would have all been good and stuff as well, wouldn't it? Yeah, I probably um, struggled the first six months I was there because there was just too much food and sort of wanted to try everything and – after, but after about six months, I realised it was on like a four-week rotating cycle. The food, so I didn't have to try and uh, eat it all in the in the one meal. Just smash it all out, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they extended my contract after the three years for one more year, but that that would have been it. Um, and about halfway through that year, I was pretty good friends with Brett Cartwright, who's a who yeah, yeah, awesome he's, uh, represented Australia at the Commonwealth Games in two thousand and two. Um, so he was the finance manager at Swimming Australia at the time and he contacted me about, and because I'd finished my accounting degree by this stage, and he asked me whether I'd be interested in sort of applying for a job at Swimming 
to sit within the high performance unit um, just to sort of manage their budgets because yeah, Swimming Australia is a 20 plus million dollar organization and uh, I think over 50% of that was you know towards high performance so he just wanted somebody with some finance background to just sit in there and um, I guess limit the risks of you know the budget being blown out so uh, I jumped at the opportunity because you know it wasn't wasn't working so much with elite athletes but it was still you know in in elite sport I guess especially being in the high performance part of it and uh, swimming so, so powerful in Australia as well oh yeah, exactly so if you had to choose a national sporting organization to work for other than your sort of football codes I guess swimming's probably um, next cab off the rank so um, yes I started there in 2000 yeah midway through 2011 and um, yeah loved it so when I first started it was a combination of sports admin and finance stuff so I used to organize a few of the tours and camps um, you know like a, the trans Tasman tour or um, I was team manager for the Australian Youth Olympic Festival in Sydney in 2013 so there was that side of the job and then I was I guess the finance side of job the finance side was um, you know analyzing the monthly reports you know doing variance commentary um, just making sure that I guess limiting the risk of overspend um, in in certain programs because you know elite sports it's quite dynamic where things things change at the last minute and especially with all the travel that's involved um, budgets can blow out really quickly when you know you've paid deposits for everything and then something changes um, so I was there to just try and limit the risk. Um, I guess another key role for me was the athlete, like managing the athlete agreements and the swimmer payments. Uh, so I think it was just after the London Olympics, Gina Reinhart um, basically started donating a couple of million dollars a year, which was to go to, towards swimmer payments. Yeah, right. So I was responsible for, I guess, working with the director of high performance in uh, I guess a funding sort of policy um, and just making sure that they were getting the right amounts and I guess looking at the funding policy that the high performance unit were putting forward you know because obviously there was metal incentive money and things like that and just doing a bit of um, modeling in terms of you know what's what's best case scenario in terms what's it going to cost us if we do really well and what's it going to cost us if we don't go you know so well so looking at um, I guess previous results to see you know what would happen in you know, other Olympics if, you know, if we do the same in um, Rio or London or whatever. So, yeah, so it was quite quite. That an would have been job. interesting stuff, yeah. Yeah, it was. And I guess just seeing where, where, you know, like how much it costs to run a tour or a camp or that sort of thing is quite quite interesting work. Yeah. Um, and, even, and then even then, you know, being a team manager on a Youth Olympic Festival in 2013, I was um, – so Mac Horton, who won the Olympic yep. medal in the 400, he was on that team, and and you know even watching the swimming, watching the the um, national swimming championships now, like pretty much every every race there'll be like some athlete that I'll either have spoken to on the phone or written an email or you know was a was a team manager of. So yeah, that was um that was quite good. And then when was it? It was. 2015 that they decided and yeah end of 2015 they decided to move the head office to melbourne um brett cartwright left the organization in uh must have been 
early 2015, something like that. And I was actually then promoted to, I was the finance manager for sort of a six month period there while they um, advertised for, for a new finance manager. Um, and then, yeah, so when they, when they moved the head office to Melbourne, they said, look, there's a job for you. Um, but if you don't want the job, you'll have to take the redundancy. So I took redundancy at the end of 2015, um, which was a which was a shame because I really enjoyed really enjoyed the the work environment and swimming. You didn't um, think you about know, moving to Melbourne? Oh, uh, not really. I just built a house, um, and my and I was just about to propose to my girlfriend at the time, so now wife. Um, yep. So it just wasn't it just wasn't a great great time and. Um, I guess, you know, I'd been there for, for th- over three years and um, I guess I've never been super motivated to climb the corporate ladder or I don't place a lot of emphasis on career. Um, I'm more about sort of enjoying myself and that's generally uh, revolves around running. Um, so, yeah, I just wasn't really that interested in it. Um, but swimming was great. There's, you know, there's probably 30 to 40 people Um in, like staff-wise, so it was a pretty small organisation and we were able to do some things outside of work like um, Swimming Australia won the JP Morgan Corporate Fun Run yep. uh, in 2000 and we won that in 2012, uh, 2011, we won that and then so we got a free trip to Chicago yeah, um, as part I've of the world, the world race. So, yeah, so I won the Sydney race and, and Brett finished. So it's teams of four. And it's a 5.6K race. Uh, and you basically add up the times of your four runners and the fastest time of the team. So they have a, a men's, a women's, and a mixed team. So uh, Swimming Australia won the men's comp. And, yeah, we got to go to Chicago for the world one. Do people do some dodgy stuff there, like just bring in some Kenyans and put them on the books for two weeks and get the trip? Or Yeah, uh, yeah there are rules. Like you have to be... You have to have worked there for I think six months beforehand. Um, so they've yeah, and they've even tightened it even more now that because those those Canberra teams winning it every year. Like we won it one year, the AIS won it another year. Then they started bringing in rules that you had to work within like 150 kilometres of Sydney or something. Like yeah, so they they made it a lot harder to win. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that was that was a great great trip to Chicago. Yeah. How'd you just go over there? Uh, we finished fourth. So the South African South African team was always really strong. And then we finished, um, we just finished behind Google. Oh, not a bad uh, finishing spot. Yeah. So that was good. I, you know, because it was a free trip, I was able to, uh, you know, do a side trip to New York and um, actually ran Beta Breakers um, in San Francisco the week before the the Chicago race. So yeah, because when you uh, Google you, one of those pictures comes up that you're like the press conference for Beta Breakers and <laughs> it's got your name with a little Australian flag, which if people don't know, it's like one of the biggest fun runs. I think it's City to Surf and then Beta Breakers is the next biggest fun run in the world. Yeah, and so City to Surf was actually based on Beta Breakers. Yeah, right. Um, and so that was part of the reason why I think, because I emailed the organisers just saying, look, I'm going to be over there. Do you like? Is it possible to get like a, an elite start or something like this? And I don't know. Like, I guess the Americans sort of get a little bit excited. I think sometimes by Australians being over there, and they said, "Yeah, yeah, you know, we'll give you free entry, and we'll give you like two or three nights at the um the race hotel." And and over there, like the road races are massive. That you actually get a daily allowance for food as well. 
Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, so I was getting like a, I don't know, a hundred, I don't know, 50, 50 US, 50 US a day to cover sort of breakfast and, oh, sorry, lunch and, and dinner because breakfast was already included. Um, so it was a great trip because I was in there with, oh, who won the race? It was um, oh, Sammy, Sammy Kitwara was like the, so he's, I think he had the fastest 10K in the world that year or something or on, on the road or, and um, Meb, Meb Kevlazegi ran that year. Yeah. And and here I was like sort of, yeah, that's why I felt way, I didn't, didn't feel like I should have been there really. <laughs> um, but yeah, still it was, it was a great experience. And then we went out with the um, elite, elite athlete um, sort of coordinator that night for, for a night out on the town. So they, they, they looked after me really well. Oh, what an awesome experience. Yeah, even had somebody pick me up at uh, San Francisco Airport when I arrived from Sydney. Oh, that's um, living the life. Yeah, it was pretty good. So back to this work stuff. So I finished up there and then um, ACD, yeah. Department of Education. Yeah, so I took redundancy and um, so that was October and then I basically had a summer off. So that was, yeah, November, December, January, sort of 2015 into 16. And then I uh, thought I'd better better get back into work. Um, I thought it'd be great redundancy, like you know I'd be basically a full time athlete. And I ran a three and a five k PB, and then uh, got injured the week after and missed Zadapec and couldn't really run that well over summer. So I'm like, oh, you know, it's, it's great being at home for a couple of days, but then after that, it got pretty boring. So that <laughs> started started looking for jobs, and I guess because I didn't have one, I sort of took what was you know what first came up and um yes i've been at swimming australia just on contract there since uh march last year it sounds Um, like that never worried you though like you seem like you've you know never panic and something will come up and i like what you said before about you pretty much said your job somewhere you go and get paid and so you can live your life on your terms rather than being a slave to the job and i reckon that's really important especially this day and age where people don't do what they do want to do and um spend a lot of time at work to pay for stuff that they don't can't really afford and um, yeah, yeah yep. don't do yeah, what I they never, want. yeah I certainly never panicked when I didn't have a job one because the redundancy was quite generous so there was no need to actually rush into finding work um, secondly I guess with my combination of PE teaching and accounting it's like you're always going to find some work you know like pretty easy to go and find a school to do some casual teaching or just find some finance work to do so and um i guess i've never i've never been one to have a lot of debt like i i hate having debt so like i didn't build a house until i had a decent deposit paid up so that you know if i did want to go and have an overseas trip or i did want to start working four days a week then financially i could actually afford to do it yeah so although although work hasn't been a, an important part of my life um in terms of a priority of at least being able to i guess put some money away so that i don't have a massive mortgage and i can have a bit more flexibility with life i suppose yeah. oh, and just do what you want it's kind of yeah. um, it's good and even just to get over to europe for a race and like little things like that we always just try to like they're always a priority not buying extra stuff to yeah oh, de- de- definitely and i think work because when my one-year contract ended in March, I was looking for some other jobs. I actually got offered a job at a school doing their co-curricular, um, their co-curricular sports stuff. So I went and saw my my current boss and said, "Look, I'm keen to stay 
a bit longer and, and have my contract extended, but can I go four days a week because I just find running 180, 190K a week um, and working five days, it's just too much. And, you know, the, the way I see it is I can work until I'm 65, 70 if I have to, but uh, I can't run um, at a reasonable level for that long. So um, they, they were actually really supportive of it. And since then, I guess having the Canberra Marathon just gone this weekend and, you know, sort of get a bit of a write-up in the paper here and there, they they can see that, you know, I'm re- relatively serious about it and um, they don't mind me then working four days a week. Oh, I know. Yeah, I did exactly the same thing and I think we um, we both nearly started at exactly the same time, like this start of the school year. And um, same thing, come back from Berlin and I'm like, uh, it was just everything was so much of a juggle to fit in higher mileage few things in the community and working full-time and yeah I was the same 221.50 I thought it's probably pretty good with what I put in but didn't want to be that guy at the bar when I'm 40 wondering what if I um took a day off work to concentrate more and run yeah and and you look back but even even you you 221 like say and I'm sure you will but even if you didn't run faster than that in 40 years time you're not going to you're not going to be talking at the bar about that day at work that was really awesome you're going to be talking about the experience you had in Berlin. Yeah. Because that's what, you know, that's what you love doing. Yeah, spot on. And then it's not only just the running stuff, but you can have that day off work and write a blog or do this podcast or, um, you know, put your energy into other things that you're kind of passionate about. So when you wake, I I know my day off's Thursday. So when I wake up, it's, yeah, I'm stoked that I get to run at 9.30 when it's sunny and a bit warmer, but at the same time, I'm stoked to spend time on, on little projects I want to work on. Yeah, yeah. I find it just means, especially taking the Wednesday off for me, um, I never have to go in more than two days in a row. Um, plus, it means that then the weekend's not as hectic because it's like, all right, I just have to sort out food and everything for the first two days, and then I can sort of regroup and do some stuff on my day off. And that, that'll then get me through Thursday and Friday and then, you know, it's weekends. So. Weekend again. And what's yeah. really good is those um, public holidays when they roll around. Yeah. It's well, a, yeah. I think the next few weeks for me, so this week I'm working, like obviously got today off, work tomorrow and then I've got, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. I'll work next Tuesday, then take Wednesday off. And then, so basically, I'm having two, three-day weeks. Yeah, so and then the week, week after, that's Anzac Day. Exactly, I'm taking the Monday off. Yep. <laughs> so, because we've got um, got my wedding anniversary, so I take the Monday off, Tuesday's Anzac Day, and then I don't work Wednesday. So that'll be a two-day <laughs> two week. Yeah, it's pretty so good. I, and even financially, like, you get taxless, so you're not gonna, you don't miss out on that much. And if you can find somewhere else where you can make a bit of coin just to top up a bit here and there, it's it's nothing. Yeah. And the quality yeah. of life compared to that 100, 200, 300 bucks you might have missed is yeah definitely it, worth it. Exactly, yeah. I'm on the same uh, same page there. I reckon more people are going to get into it as well. It's gonna it's gonna be oh, a yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. We're ahead of our times. Yeah, but then when they're doing fours, we'll be doing threes, three-day yeah, well, weeks. I'm already thinking, I hope my boss isn't listening, but I'm already thinking that. I'm just like, how can I get this down to three days a week? But, yeah. Um, but it comes well, back I to once... other things about life, about, you know, where do you spend your money? And, um, you know, like, are you buying stuff for the sake of buying it or because you really mm. want it? And, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think once I start having, ki- once you start having kids, I'll, I'll definitely look to go three days a week. Yeah. 
yeah, that, that could be a whole um, whole different world. I don't like mm. commenting too much about kids because I've got no idea what's in for me, I reckon. Yeah, I'm not quite sure. That's why I'm trying to um, trying to run a good marathon before that happens. Yeah. yeah, I don't know about the quality of sleep. We've got a cat and that does our head in sometimes. I don't know how we're going to cope with a kid. Yeah, we've got, we got a pug. Oh, yeah? Yeah, but he's not too bad. Kid in my class obsessed with pugs, like you name it, background of his laptop pictures in his books like just loves them doesn't have sounds, one but just well, yeah just loves sounds, pugs sounds like my wife when uh, we first met she had everything pug related she even had salt salt and pepper shakers in the um the shape of a pug <laughs> yeah we should introduce them they'll um get yeah. on quite fine yeah what about a life mantra mate we've kind of just got pretty heavy the last 15 minutes but have you got a, a life mantra that you live by um yeah, probably you touched on it before. Like I'm a big believer in you get out what you put in. So, um, and you know, if you're going to do something, do it right. So I probably live by that a little bit. So, but it comes back to bite me sometimes in that, you know, I'm either 100% in or 100% out of things. And when I'm 100% in, as you know, distance running, you can probably overdo it a little bit. Mm. So although you get in what you get out, I guess with distance running, you sort of also need to know when you're when you're pushing the envelope a little bit. Um, yeah, for sure. But yeah, that's that's probably the main thing. Yeah, and that, that's what I've always loved about the sport is that generally, if you do put the work in, um, and especially over the longer stuff, you do get the results. Um, and I think Sunday was probably you know I have worked pretty hard the last you know three four months, but even I guess twenty years really. Um, and even though I wasn't having a having a great time of it halfway through, I, you know, it's the training the training that got me through that second half. Um, yeah, so yeah, for sure. Yeah, you can't wing that kind of strength in the last half of a marathon. No. no. What about routines or anything? Like, are you strict with your diet or sleep or meditation or anything like that? Um, I'm pretty strict with, with my diet, uh, as I said. I've sort of made a few changes from late last year when I, when I got sick and went and had blood tests and sort of indicated that my muscles weren't sort of recovering. Um, I spoke to my dietitian mate and we came up with a bit of a plan to, I guess, maybe increase protein a little bit more. So that's both straight after training and also at night with the slow release protein. So I'm really strict with making sure I get my you know, 20 plus grams of protein in straight after training with, you know, 60 odd grams of carbs and having a, having a slow release protein at night. Um, pretty standard with, with my diet. It's always generally breakfast is, is wheat bix and blueberries and milk and banana. Lunches will be um, anything from sort of leftovers from the night before, which is normally your, your traditional spaghettis or stir fries or, um, yeah. So it's like always lots of fruit and veg in there. Um, yeah yeah so pretty strict with that um i guess i'm regular with especially over the last six months when my body wasn't going so great late last year mate of mine's a uh, really good soft tissue therapist here in town so i've started going seeing him either weekly or um at the very least every fortnight so uh that's made a massive difference over the last well, since the start of the year we'll we'll put it this way before i saw him I was really like I was really really struggling in terms of my hips and back and everything and from the time that I saw him I didn't miss it I ran 100 days straight up until the marathon so oh, it's made awesome. a massive difference and try and do 30 minutes of um, a, a gym routine that I have here at home three times a week yeah uh, and I've how been, long do you get the massage for uh, it's an hour yep 
Um, and so I've been seeing him for probably close to 10 years now. So he knows my body really well and knows when, you know, he knows how things should feel. Um, so it's always quite good. Um, yeah, that's good. Yeah, and the, the, oh, the third, sorry, sorry the um, yeah, 30 minute gym program that I've been doing sort of is another regular. Because I, I, I stopped doing that last year because it's one of those things that I don't know whether when you're doing it regularly, you never, you don't know whether it's helping you or not. You're just doing it, thinking it does. But then I didn't do it for a year and I started having niggles and everything. So I thought, you know what, I'll, I'll go back to just doing it. It only takes me half an hour. And um, yeah, it's been great since I haven't had any niggles this year at all. So, so you lift weights and stuff or it's all just body? No, nah, it's all just body stuff. So it's just, you know, your general core of planks and some of those um, uh, like trunk rotations with medicine balls and, <laughs> hamstring curl stuff on Swiss balls, um, you know, clams with the um, TheraBands and that, like just yeah. all that sort of stuff, just more more glute activation and, and a bit of core really. How do you go with the motivation to get that done? Um, it's easier now that I have Wednesdays off because I can, you know, get out a run in the morning and then do that in the afternoon. And I think half an hour is, manage- like half an hour is manageable as well, especially when I'm doing it from home. Yeah, um, I can get home. Yeah, I can get home from work at five o'clock and go, all right, well, I'll give myself half an hour just to, you know, unwind and then just go out to the sort of the lounge room and do 5.30 to 6 out there. It's, it goes pretty quick. Yeah, I'm always, yeah, I'm pretty similar, but I go through peaks and troughs with that stuff and it, it's funny how you can find 90 minutes to fit a run in, but you can't find 20 minutes to do a bit of core three times a week. It's, um, yeah. Yeah, running. If I had to, if I had to drive fifteen minutes to do it, I don't think I would do it though. Yeah. So because I because I can do it from home, I just find it's it's quite easy to do. Yeah. And to finish off, mate, I know um when you chuck your name into Google, you get some pretty good horse races, uh, fashions on the field kind of swagger photos getting around. Tell me about that. Yeah. So you got my real wife, smooth style. Yeah, that's uh, my wife. She um got into fashions on the field about three years ago. Uh, so her mum's her mum's not a trained like seamstress or anything, but she's super talented at sewing and um, pretty much all of the, the outfits that Viv's worn, her mum has made, like including the hats and everything. Yeah. So Viv got into that, and the prizes are amazing. She won she won Caulfield Cup fashions on the field three years ago, and she won fifty thousand dollars in cash and prizes. Um, yeah. You got a trend. Yeah, she got a trip to um, London, which uh, she went with her mum over to Royal Ascot for a week. Uh, she got a, I think, $20,000 no, oh no, $10, shopping um, spree at Chadston in Melbourne. Um, and then she won, she won one last year, which we got, a, we got a week trip to this yoga retreat in Thailand late last year after Melbourne. We um, so, flights and stuff. Yeah, everything. Yep, flights, accommodation, food, everything covered for a week. Um, Got to yes. get into this. So once we met, because I, I hate getting dressed up. I'm your <laughs> um I'm your tracksuit pants and jumpers type guy. So uh, yeah, she got me into it, and it's been great. Like one of one of I think I got second at Magic Millions one year, and yeah, it's generally my you get a lot of Maya vouchers, things like yeah. that. So um, actually uh, at our wedding, it's um, my um, one of my best mates got up there and. Um, made a bit of a speech about how the project that I had when we met for Viv was to turn her into a runner and the project that she had for me when we first met was to make me more fashionable. So we <laughs> sort of had, had our own little side projects on each other and 
Um, it's great that we can combine our two loves, though. Like she, yeah, that's awesome. You know, I've I've sort of got her a little bit more into the running, which she enjoys, and she's got me into her passion, which is fashion. And you know, I, I quite enjoy it. And as I said, the prizes are <laughs> the prizes are much better than what you get for winning a fun run. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. You um, bust your guts running, and you might find a thousand bucks somewhere, but you can um, enter fashions in the field and fifty grand. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And how did she go on the weekend as well? She ran Canberra and is going to run Berlin. Yeah, so Canberra was her first marathon and she's had a bit of a sore knee the last month. So we sort of made the call a month out to just back right off, thinking that, you know, you're not going to gain a lot in the last month. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was a tough day for her. She um, probably went out at a pace that she was capable of maybe six weeks ago um, and then, yeah, the back end. So she ended up running three hours 50, which is still, you know, Still a great result, and um, it was actually really emotional when she crossed the line. I sort of, we both sort of broke down in tears. It's it's amazing that the marathon can do that. You, just, you know, it's really quite emotional. Um, just knowing, you know, the amount of pain that she would have been going through for, as I said to her, like I've never run for three hours fifty ever in my life, um, yeah. and pro- and probably never will. So I always have amazing amounts of respect for people that are out there pushing themselves for that long because. You know, like, or, or you could imagine that for them, it's from the point for us where it's we're two hours into the race. The last twenty minutes is is hell. They're probably doing that for the last hour and a half. Yeah, so, yeah, and I'm um, exactly the same boat. Like Carly did Berlin for the first time um, last year. That was her first marathon, and it's almost weird the morning before the race, and you you send her off to the world, and you're in this foreign city, and you're not yeah. going to see her for kind of six hours once the start and finish, and and then at Berlin, they've got these massive like alphabet letters just um, to meet up with your family and stuff at the end. So yep. I'd kind of finished, gone back to the hotel, showered, got some food, and then gone back to our designated meeting spot. And then you're just waiting to kind of, you're not sure yeah. where they are. You tried to track them on the phone and the tracker's <laughs> yep. down. And then, um, yeah, it's quite emotional, especially in a foreign city where it's not like you're just sitting there talking to your friends or your family and you're just looking for this face in the crowd to appear. And yeah, then, um, exactly. yeah, she was four hours 40 and I was the same, same emotions you're kind of talking about. Yeah, like I was more emotional when she crossed the line than when I crossed, yeah. crossed myself. Um, and knowing the, because you know, the weather got really bad after I finished, it was bucketing down and for her to be out there in the, you know, pretty much the last hour and a, hour and a half in that, it's pretty pretty rough. Yeah. Um, and also just, just seeing how sore she was, it, like it reminded me of when I ran Nagano the yep. whole, I think I said last time, it took me 600 metres to, uh, 600, no, sorry, it took me an hour to walk 600 metres to the hotel. Um, she was like that when she crossed the line. It took her a long time to get to the car. Um, but she seems to be much better now. Yeah, that's awesome, mate. And she'll be um, teeing up for Berlin as well. Yeah, so she'll be in the three-hour 50 to four-hour 15 group now. So she missed, yeah, she missed the three-hour 30 to three-hour 50 group by a minute. Which uh, was a bit of bit of a shame because I think by Berlin she she should be able to run three hours close to three hours thirty I think. Yeah. Uh, fingers crossed that preparation goes well. Yeah, hopefully. Rightio, mate. We might leave it there. Thanks for your time no. again. No worries, mate. Thanks for having me and uh, good luck with uh, your training for Berlin and I guess the um the rest of the podcasts. I'm really yeah. enjoying them. We'll so. keep in touch and stuff. So um we got to tee up a weekend when you come down here. We'll we'll load up on a marathon session. Yeah, sounds good. And there's always uh, I've got plenty of spare rooms in the house here if you want to uh, experience um, Canberra, the Canberra running scene as well. Yeah, get some hills in. 
there's plenty of hills here and we might uh, have to get you down for the Echuca, um racing carnival that's always a big day oh yeah when's that uh it's the same day as melbourne cup okay so yeah, all it's right not a, it's not a bad one you can come yeah. down and win the fashions on the field yeah i think viv's actually going she's going to go to melbourne cup carnival this year yeah so. don't come to Echuca. this is this is way too low key for um, <laughs> for her yeah yeah so. Radio, mate thanks again for your time no worries mate chat soon thanks mate stay injury free good luck getting over that um marathon yeah thanks cheers mate bye bye
it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 